Aljazeera podcast. Barbaric, villains, backward, and of course terrorists. For a long time now, that's how Hollywood and Western cinema has depicted Muslims and Middle Easterners. But nowadays, well, things have improved a little. But of course, there still is a way to go. Hello and welcome everyone to the Essential Middle East Podcast. I'm Sami Zaydan. Let me start by giving you a little context here. According to the MENA Arts Advocacy Coalition, 78% of Middle East characters on TV are portrayed as, yes, you guessed it, terrorists or soldiers or tyrants or agents. But lately, there's been some breakthroughs. I've never been to Palestine. I don't have citizenship there. I don't have citizenship here. I'm like a refugee free agent. Would you like to try some chocolate hummus? You say chocolate hummus? Use this all to my grandmother. Mo on Netflix, a new original series showcasing the struggle of a Palestinian family. And Palestinian-American comedian Mo Ammer is turning his sometimes painful refugee experience into laughter, stand-up routines, and now a highly successful freshman series on Netflix. And that kind of show is rare. It's the first ever uh, show created by starring a Palestinian and showing a Palestinian family on television. All right, let's flesh it all out now with our guest. Hello, I'm Ann Sobel. I'm joining you from Chicago, and I'm currently a screenwriter and formerly a film professor at Northwestern University in Qatar. Fantastic. We're so happy to have you with us. So, Ann, let me start with the obvious basic question. Why are Arabs and Muslims portrayed so negatively in Hollywood and Western media in general? I assume it's multifactorial. I think a large reason is the influence of the news media and what they choose to cover Uh, When there is a large news story, a significant news story happening in the United States historically, and I feel this probably comes from the 60s and 70s onward, it's often about terrorism. That's one of the first notable media stories we get about Arabs and Muslims, especially when I was growing up. That was, if I saw an Arab or Muslim in the news at all, it was a terrorist event or on occasion an oil-rich sheikh stepping off of a plane to greet a president. And then that gets translated into our entertainment products. It's the limited worldly understanding that these writers and creators have. One of the things that studies show about content creation and absorption is that when we don't have a lot of exposure to different racial ethnic groups, we tend to rely on the very limited understanding of what we do have of those groups. This is what makes it really interesting, though, because I guess if you ask some people, they might answer the question and say, well, aren't Arabs and Muslims the ones who are committing most of the terrorism? That's why they're being reflected that way. But that is actually not the case, according to a 2017 Government Accountability Office report that says that since September the 12th, 2001, more people have been killed by far-right groups in the 10 out of the 15 years they looked at 
rather than Muslim groups. And they said these far-right groups, in terms of the number of terror attacks or violent extremist attacks, they were responsible for 73%. Muslim groups, they were responsible for only 27%. So there is a big distinction between reality and portrayal, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think this is where you get into implicit bias and that we tend to favor groups that are like us and historically exclude or malign groups that are not. It's a much more comfortable place for a white creator to make a villain brown or of a different religious group than their own. It's always easier to generalize and stereotype the other. For decades, Americans have assumed that their audiences were white, that the world was a predominantly white place. And so reflected in that was how a white person saw the world. And, you know, it's worth mentioning Chimamanda Adichie here. She gave a beautiful TED Talk in 2009 called The Danger of a Single Story. And she talks about how insisting on negative stories flattens the experience and it overlooks other stories that inform individuals and groups. And she says the single story creates stereotypes. And the problem with stereotypes is not that they are untrue, but that they are incomplete. They make one story become the whole story. And so, you know, when I got the job in Qatar, I was so excited. It was such a boon for me. This was 2009, 2010. And I will never forget that when I started telling people I had this job opportunity to teach film. I can only imagine. Did they tell you, you'll be kidnapped. You'll show up on one of these kidnapping <laughs> terror videos. It was pretty close. The first question everybody asked me was, are you going to be able to drive? And that kills me because there are 22 countries in the Middle East. And in 2009, there was only one of them where women couldn't drive. And that wasn't the country I was moving to. But that single story of women driving or not being able to drive was all that my community knew about the Middle East. Beyond correcting Hollywood's misrepresentations, advocates want to see more original works by Arab creators themselves. Shows like the digital series East of La Brea or Hulu's Rami allow Arab and Muslim writers to tell their own stories. A lot of these stereotypes or one-story depictions, I think was the term used, is it linked to the history of Orientalism, that study that depicted the Orient, particularly the Muslim world, in a certain light, in a certain way? Every small drib and drab of information that was brought from colonialist or just brought from a white person who spent time abroad and carried that information back, all those bits of information formed the ideas we have today in the West. And then those just continued to be cemented and codified and reified. And perhaps because it was much more interesting, right? Orientalism and exoticizing is much more interesting than pointing out similarities in experience and identity. It's just so easy to lean on simple tropes 
that we have a common understanding about. Great writers still do it to this day, but really great writers are able to do that without creating stereotypes. Have streaming platforms changed the way Arabs and Muslims are featured? There's been a really fascinating shift, and particularly if you look at the stats over the last five years, there's been an aggressive shift towards diversity. So that's not just on streaming platforms. That's a general awareness? That's what you're saying that's picking up about diversity? I think there's a general awareness. I think the streaming platforms have done it better than anyone else. One is they need a lot of content. And so with the need for a lot of content comes the opportunity to take risks on new content creators and new stories. But also, they're newer entities. It's not these old, stodgy networks like NBC, ABC, so forth and so on. They come with a fresh perspective about doing things differently. They also don't have to reach the numbers that someone like ABC, NBC, CBS, those were the original television creators, right? They had to reach so many people in order to keep a show on the air. It sounds like you're saying that the stream platforms, because they can maybe segmentize or target the audience differently than the general mass media? Exactly. And they're also spending less money on their shows, which means they can take bigger risks. They don't need every show to be a smash success. But I would like to point out that all of these great historically excluded groups who are now getting a voice are actually getting paid less than their counterparts who are white, who are on more established networks or have more a more established reputation. Interesting. Is there enough content from the Middle East and the Muslim world out there then? Absolutely not. It's like asking if there are enough stars in the sky, in my opinion. Well, what's holding them back? Are there enough Arab actors in Hollywood? I don't know, you know. Not having enough actors or talent is often an excuse that's made. I know so many people who would love to break into entertainment as an industry because of their creative soul demands it. There's a lot of barriers to entry if you are a historically excluded group. And this can include money, this can include network connections all down the line. But even with the success of Mo and Rami, which I would like to say I love, I love those shows, I think they're so important. But if you look at those shows themselves, Mo is on Netflix, Rami is on Hulu. Mo is actually produced by Rami Youssef, who is also the creator of Rami. Those shows are very similar. Right? They are about men in their 30s to 40s who are kind of single men dealing with issues of that age group, like having, you know, the pressure to get married, all of those things, right? Dealing with like figuring out your career, figuring out finances. What happened is Rami, to Rami Yusuf's credit, became a great success. So now the people in Hollywood say, this is a proven model. This will work, we can make money off of this. So they are more willing to take a risk on a show that's similar because they know there's an audience, but again, what's happening is the reduction of a single story because Rami and Mo have wonderful stories, but there is virtually no Arab women in leading roles in film and television right now. So we're not hearing their stories. And then what about the diversity within the Arab American, Muslim, Middle Eastern experience? 
there's hundreds of thousands of individualized stories that could easily be represented, but it will be much harder for those stories to get out without any kind of a proven track record. And how do you get a proven track record if no one will take a chance on your show and on your story? Do you think it will come? Is it just a matter of time now? Are we kind of heading in that direction? Absolutely. I'm an optimist, and we've seen shifts over the decades. And the last five years, we're talking about a meteoric rise in leading roles for people of color in Hollywood films to the point we are actually starting to see representation on screen that matches the diversity of the country, which means about four out of 10 people in the United States are not white, and we are actually starting to see those numbers in leading roles on film and television. That's a really good point, but hold that thought for a moment because we're gonna have to take a break. We'll be right back though. Hello, I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. In season four, we carry on exploring the lives of history's most notable figures, from Rosa Parks to Pol Pot. We meet the people who changed the way we think about our world and those who left it marked by their infamy. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone. Right, let's get back into it. You mentioned about there being a lot of barriers to entry. Is it the same if we look at the situation in Hollywood and compare it with streaming platforms? Or do Arab producers, actors, writers get different chances of or access between the different platforms? I think it's about the same because in my personal experience... I am a middle-class white American. The two things that have made it very challenging for me to break into the industry is one, money. My income level is not high enough that I can take off large swaths of time to write and develop a project. Every time you have to pitch something to a network or streaming service, you have to come with all the material developed and written, usually a pilot episode and a series Bible. That actually can take anywhere from three to six months to a year to develop on your own time. How do you do that if you're a middle-class or low-income person holding down a full-time job? So what needs to change there to try and support people? Material, materially supporting diverse creators. I believe Riz Ahmed has a grant program for Arab and Arab-American talent where he gives out like $25,000 to a pool of, I don't know, like six to ten creators. Who's going to provide the funding? Should it be entirely up to private individuals? Should it be an industry thing? Both need to support these initiatives and from all facets. They're private individuals who care about what we see on screen and have the means should absolutely do so. But of course, the industry needs to shift and recognize these stories will not be heard without support and workshops, which is starting to happen more and more. And there's a lot of workshops out there. So Sundance has like a screenwriting workshop and they are starting to, you know, be more aware of diversity within that workshop and ensuring that people from different walks of life get into that workshop. But you have to remember, 
Arabs, Arab Americans, Muslims, Middle Easterners, they are all fighting for spots with people from other historically excluded groups. So that becomes a challenge as well, which is why well-connected individuals from these groups need to be at the forefront of support. That's a second barrier to entry. It's very hard to get networked into an industry where you have no personal contacts. So you see this actually with Rami Youssef, where Mo Amir was on his show, and now he is executive producing Mo, right? He is supporting diverse creators. He is hiring Middle Easterners and Muslims in his own writing room. But there needs to be more people like him in that position doing just that. So they've made some success, but it's not enough, in other words. We're definitely many years away from it being enough because, again, to me, enough would be very multifaceted representations in the media. Muslims with disabilities, Middle Easterners from different income levels, all of those things would need to be represented to have enough of an accurate portrayal. And that also includes, like, the historical landscape. You know, as a white American, there is all of this diversity on screen. I have a white American son. He watches unbelievably diverse content every day. I'm honestly thrilled that I don't have to work for it. I am never worried about him not seeing enough of himself on screen because we have decades of material where white men are in positive and affirming leading roles. That does not exist for anyone else. Is there something that perhaps Muslims and Arabs themselves need to do to try and change the way they're portrayed in Hollywood? That's a great question. I would say I think there is a temptation when only one or two shows highlight your experience to be hypercritical of those shows because it's so limited and because you're so frustrated with your lack of representation But I think to the best of their ability, they need to support the shows that exist by streaming them, sharing them, discussing them, even if they don't agree with everything. And then, of course, continuing to invest in artists and creators. You know, there's a worldwide notion that artists are starving artists, that the arts is not a notable career I don't care where you are from. My parents didn't want me to go in the arts. Nobody's, I don't want my kid to go in the arts. Nobody wants their kids to go in the arts. But we have to recognize that the arts are massively shaping and influencing cultural and social ideologies. And so I have, I mean, I could give you the stats, but it's pretty self-evident. It's something that common sense should be able to tell you negative depictions of people, groups, races, religions, abilities, create negative beliefs. And positive depictions of those groups create positive, affirming beliefs. And that includes for white people, right? So it's twofold. White people are influenced negatively or positively depending on the media depictions they see of other groups. And one of the things that which is really important when discussing all of this and when we're focused on Western media, is that entertainment is America's largest export. 
which means this isn't just about how Americans see the world within our own nation. It's about how the whole world sees the world, right? Because when you go to the movie theater, a big chunk of those movies are Hollywood movies. Exactly. And even countries, individuals, and groups who are frustrated with America, are frustrated with our values, ideologies, and foreign policy, they cannot escape the ubiquity of American content. So we are everywhere. So not only do we have an influence within our country, we have an influence outside of our country. You know, so some of the studies show any kind of imagery that's negative will reduce the self-esteem of people within the group that is portrayed negatively. Exposure to negative media depictions of their own ethnic or racial groups can have immediately effects on a child's sense of self. This includes lower self-esteem, satisfaction with their appearance, feelings about their ethnic and racial group and their academic performance. And then this has even wider ranging and longer term effects, which is that people from those groups will be less likely to pursue financially solvent or high profile careers because of those former issues created. That is just from watching too much media with one perspective. On the other side of things, positive depictions, more confidence, more self-worth, more belief in self, and they tracked this. They studied young black men in America, and when they saw images of Barack Obama that were positive or speeches that he gave that were positively discussed in the news, the test scores of those young black men went up. Additionally, positive media in general is known to create pro-social behavior. So that means behavior which benefits others, helping, cooperating, comforting, sharing, donating. A young person from an underrepresented group or a minority, whether it's Muslims, Middle Easterners, women, if they grow up seeing positive role models reinforced on the media, it's at least helping them to believe in themselves at the very least, yeah? It is, and then it also gives them a tool to share their experience. And I want to point out something that I read about the show Mo, which I thought was incredible. So there is a writer, Danya Asawi, and she wrote an article recently in The Cut about Mo and the profound impact it had on her sense of self. She is a Palestinian-American. She had never seen herself portrayed on film and television. She didn't even necessarily think it was something she needed. When it happened, it was literally a moving experience for her. I previously worked at a, an organization called Storycatchers Theater in Chicago, and they do uh, trauma-informed theater with kids who are incarcerated. In fact, the first key element of trauma-informed work is for someone to be able to tell their story and have it validated. That is the first thing that needs to happen before you work through trauma or in order for you to work through trauma. I mean, this leads us to another question. Obviously, the media, Hollywood, these streaming platforms, these are very powerful tools. And I'm wondering, do they get politically exploited? You may know there's a book out there, National Security Cinema, which talks about how U.S. security has worked on over 800 films and 1,000 television shows through bodies such as the Pentagon Entertainment Liaison Office. What kind of influence 
do these agencies have over Hollywood and so on? I see how soft diplomacy operates. That's what soft power is all about, right? It's soft power. When you're talking about higher level powers that be and who they want to appease, certainly these things go hand in hand. I would say generally though, it is true that the media tends to have a more liberal slant, but that does mean that it is still being influenced politically. But I also think it's almost impossible for people to remove themselves politically. But I am impressed, I mean, considering that America has a very ardently pro-Israel stance, I continue to be impressed that a show like Mo would be out there and so successful. And so many Palestinian Americans that I know are just emotionally moved by the fact that the show exists. Palestinian, open about Palestinian issues in the United States can be very uncomfortable and it can feel threatening in and of itself. And that is really spectacular about Mo. And I loved that in the pilot episode, they have like an older Palestinian man arguing with what seems to be a Jewish man about the history of Israel and Palestine. And you'd have to be more informed to understand their conversation. So if you're informed, you get it. If you're not, hopefully you go into your research and see what they're talking about. And that's the power of a television show that will be viewed widely. Of all the people, of all the different roles in Hollywood and media productions, who bears the most responsibility to change depictions, to change the narrative? The people with the money. We're all beholden to the people with the money and what they want to see on screen. At the end of the day, I work as a screenwriter, and that is the truth. And fortunately, I've had the chance to work with people whose values are aligned with mine, but they have the final say. And so it's the people with the money who are greenlighting things, hiring people, rehiring people, creating retention of diverse creators, actors, etc. All of that, right? It all comes down to who has the money. Follow the money. (laughs) (laughs) This has been an absolutely fabulous chat. Thank you so much, Anne. Ah, thank you, Sammy. This was wonderful. And thank you for listening. This episode was produced by Khaled Sultan. Sound design was by George Alwir. Our engagement producer is Ayal Malik, and our assistant engagement producer is Munira Dosari. Omar Saleh is our executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is head of audio. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. For now, it's goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>